You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. A big email scam extracts more than $37 million from a major automotive parts supplier. Wikipedia suffers a DDoS attack in Europe and the Middle East. NERC and FERC get to work. Thrip may really be billbug, and that's attribution, not etymology. Was U.S. Cyber Command trolling North Korea on the DPRK's National Day? And what does the Department of Motor Vehicles do with all the data they collect on drivers? In some U.S. states, it seems... They sell it to private eyes. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Monday, September 9th, 2019. At the end of last week, Toyota Boshuku Corporation, an automobile component manufacturer and a member of the Toyota Group, disclosed that a European subsidiary lost more than $37 million when it fell for a business email compromise attack. The incident itself took place on August 14th. Toyota Bushuku has said in its disclosure that the loss occurred when the company followed, quote, fraudulent payment directions from a malicious third party, end quote. The loss was a heavy one, and it highlights the risk of business email compromise even to well-established companies that can be expected to have sound procedures in place. Little more than these bare facts are known at this time. Toyota Boshuku says it's inhibited from saying more because of its participation in the ongoing police investigations. It does say it's working to recover the funds its subsidiary lost, and it asks for everyone's understanding its decision not to offer more information at this time. Also, over the weekend, Wikipedia sustained a cyber attack that took it offline in several countries. Computing caused the outage the result of a large distributed denial-of-service attack affecting Europe and the Middle East. The Wikimedia Foundation said Saturday that bad-faith actors of the sort it tends to attract were responsible. Wikipedia is working to restore normal operations. The foundation declined in its post to speculate about attribution. The North American Electric Reliability Corporation, NERC, an industry group, has released a report on the March 5, 2019 incident that affected the U.S. power grid. According to E&E News, this cyber attack generated the first formal report of a cyber incident from the utilities to the Department of Energy. NERC's report of lessons learned downplays the severity of the attack as affecting a low-impact control center, and it cites a basic lapse in cyber hygiene namely failure to patch a firewall, as the enabling cause. NERC recommends that utilities follow a set of familiar best practices, patch management, network segmentation, network monitoring, and so on. Coincidentally or not, the Wall Street Journal observes that the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, FERC, a U.S. government regulatory body, 
is considering revising its rules to include public identification of electric utilities that fail to follow rules designed to ensure the grid's physical and cybersecurity. CyberScoop reports that Symantec thinks a recently discovered Chinese government hacking group, Thrip, may actually be another manifestation of the long-active billbug or lotus blossom unit. Thrip, like lotus blossom, has concentrated on military organizations. It's also particularly interested in satellite communications, media, and education targets. The geographical focus has been Southeast Asia. What is trolling? It's a word with a complicated history. Its root meaning is a technique of fishing from a slow-moving boat, often with multiple hooks. It came to be used in the 1990s as a description of certain forms of online behavior designed to elicit a response from people looking at the Internet. Soon, people who trolled, that is, people who tried to engage others with distracting, often off-topics posts or comments, came to be known as trolls because trolling sounded like something mythical Scandinavian beings might do, maybe from beneath a bridge. So, would trolling count as a kind of information operation? Well, sure, why not? U.S. Cyber Command seems to have been trolling Pyongyang by releasing samples of DPRK malware on North Korea's national holiday. Axios thinks so, anyway. September 9th, which is today on the Baltimore side of the international dateline, but yesterday on the Sunanju side, is the day of the foundation of the Republic. It's a big day in the DPRK, like the 4th of July in the United States, only with more flag teams and rhythmic applause than fireworks and grilled hot dogs. We should note that the North Korean government has been telling the rest of the world that, contrary to the slanders being mouthed by the Yankee puppets on the UN Security Council, they don't hack stuff or rob banks or jackpot ATMs or any of that stuff. At any rate, between midnight and one in the morning yesterday, Cyber Command released some hidden Cobra code for the benefit of researchers. Axios asked them if the timing was deliberate, if they were messing with Mr. Kim's head. Cyber Command said, in effect, no comment, quote, We do not discuss details about the malware samples in CNMF team posts, end quote, is how their public affairs representative put it, in a statement that doesn't even amount to a non-denial denial. As one tweeter observed, it's old stuff, and at this point, on this day, Cyber Command is just being mean. On the other hand, couldn't happen to a nicer guy. Right, Mr. Kim? And finally, what do departments of motor vehicles do with all that information they collect about drivers? In the U.S. and elsewhere, driver's licenses can amount to a de facto national identification system, and the DMV asks a lot of questions about you. A recent visit by one of our people to the DMV on the north side of Baltimore this weekend required birth certificates, marriage licenses, W-2 tax forms, a recent credit card statement, and a recent utility bill, which is quite a grab bag of PII. So what do they do with all that stuff? Make sure you're you, of course, for one thing. But according to an investigation published by Vice, a lot of state DMVs are selling the data to third parties for some serious dough, enriching the state coffers to the tune of tens of millions of dollars. Who's buying? Some of the purchasers strike Vice as more or less legit, like towing outfits and insurance companies. Others, however, seem, as Vice puts it, more nefarious, notably private investigators. And, unlike Philip Marlowe, these gumshoes are happy to do divorce work. 
Several of the DMVs told reporters that they drew the line at selling the photos on the licenses. So we've got that going for us, we guess. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration, Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. And joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He's from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute, also my co-host on the Hacking Humans podcast. Joe, great to have you back. Hi, Dave. Uh, got an interesting story uh, from The Verge, and this is about an update that Google made to Gmail for iOS users. Right. What's, what's going on here? So what they've done is they've finally given uh, Gmail users on iOS the option of blocking images uh, from being loaded when you open an email. Hmm. Okay. Right. Is this something? You're an Android user. I am. Something you could uh, already had that capability over on Planet Android. It would seem so. Okay. Although (laughs) until this story came across, I didn't uh, (laughs) didn't change the settings. Uh huh. uh, But I was able to go in and quickly change uh, the settings for all my accounts. Now it's account per account basis. So the setting is attached to the account, not to your Gmail client in general. I see. So I have like five Gmail accounts on my on my phone. Right. What was interesting is in the article, it says that uh, iOS for Gmail users will now let you do it. But if you use G Suite, you cannot block images from loading, Hmm. right? So the corporate users... Corporate users cannot... Can't do it. Can't do it. But corporate users can do it on Android because Hmm. uh, I have a corporate email account from G Suite on my phone. I was able to to change the setting for loading images on loading the email. Now, let's review here. What's the significance of being able to turn off... 
loading images. Okay, so there's actually a uh, privacy and security risk with this. Somebody can attach or put in embed in the HTML of an email uh, because now, for years now, for decades now, email has been using HTML. Mm -hmm. I can create a unique file name for every email I send out and have that file loaded when someone opens the email and the HTML engine of either the email client or the web page uh, notices that there is a link for a, an image. It goes and it requests the image, but because it requested an image with a unique name, I know who has opened that email, when they open the email, and I may actually know where they are. So it's the this is the whole tracking pixels. Right, it's a tracking thing. pixel essentially. Right, it so can be a very small white image that you'll never see. And I look at, I open an, an email in my email client. This tracking pixel gets summoned. Right. And you know that I've opened the email. Correct. Right. Now, I actually have a plugin for Chrome that I use right. that blocks tracking pixels. It's called Ugly Email. Ugly Email. Ugly Email. <laughs> and um, one of the things I like about it is that it puts up a little icon next to messages that contain tracking pixels. So it knows before you open it. Correct. Ah. Correct. And one of the things I like about this is that uh, it just lets me know who's trying to track me. Ah, that's that's good information to have, I think. <laughs> it is. It is. And it's very interesting. I mean, obviously, you know, I here at the CyberWire, we get lots of email from PR folks. Mm -hmm. PR folks love to know if you've opened their emails or yes. not. Yes, they do. <laughs> so... Uh, you know, and this also blocks that, so they don't know if you've opened their emails or not. So, um, you know, that can be helpful. So, yeah, interesting. That's a, it's a good party, uh, a good third-party solution on your web browser. But what about your phone? Now, Google is allowing you to do this on uh, on your Google account, your Gmail accounts, but not on your G Suite accounts. I mm -hmm. think they need to go ahead and and allow G Suite users to go ahead. To do this as well. All right. Well, it's a good capability. Uh, I, I guess I could say, what took you so long? Right. But uh, <laughs> I'll say that for you, Dave. Okay, right, right. Why haven't you done it for G Suite users? That's what I'd like to know. Yeah on, yeah. on iOS. I mean, I can do it on my Android phone, but it seems like it's a fairly simple fix. Yeah. All right. Well, good to know. And uh, if, this is, if this is something you think concerns you, uh, definitely worth going in and checking those settings. Maybe it's something you want to turn on. Yep. All right. Joe Kerrigan, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Dave. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.